Hello, my rebels. Today, I'm going to spend the whole show talking about the U.S. court case that threw out Joe Biden's illegal mask mandate for airplanes and trains and whatnot. Um, it's shocking that it took so long to get to court, but hey, in Canada, not one of our cases has gotten to the Supreme Court on lockdowns. And those that have been to lower courts, not one lockdownist piece of legislation has been struck down. So although it's late, uh, it's better than anything we have up here. I won't give away my thoughts now. I'll take you through it. Uh, before I do, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com. It's the video version of this show. Today we got a great interview with my friend Janine Yunus, who's a civil liberties lawyer in America who fights against these sorts of things. She'll go through the ruling with me. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com. Eight bucks a month, you get my daily video show, plus weekly shows from four other teams here. It's a lot of stuff. And eight bucks a month, it's not a ton of dough, if I may say so, but it adds up for us. And that's how we keep the lights on here, because we don't take any of that Trudeau money, unlike most of our competitors. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, airlines in the United States have abandoned their mask mandates and a New Zealand airline dropped their vaccine mandate. So what's Canada's excuse? It's April 19th. This is the Ezra the Man Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. It's atrocious that it took so long, but at least it happened. Yesterday, a U.S. judge struck down as illegal the mask rule that applied to airlines in America. And as a sign of just how hated these mask rules were, airplanes that were literally in flight in the air immediately announced this court ruling on the PA system, and passengers spontaneously cheered and ripped off their masks. Let me show you a few videos of that. Here's a Delta Airlines flight. And I just checked with the company, and the uh, company position is, the Delta position is, masks will be optional this evening for all crew and passengers as well. So it is cause to celebrate, but for those who want to wear masks, please feel free to, but it is optional, and that way we can alleviate any stress and uh, discomfort. Thank you very much. Here's another one. April 18th, the Biden administration announced that the Transportation Security Administration will no longer enforce the federal mandate requiring masks in all U.S. airports and onboard aircraft. Finally! Effective immediately, masks are optional for all airport employees. I can't tell which airline this next one's from, but a flight attendant singing, Throw away your masks. Everyone hated the masks. Well, that's not quite true, is it? Uh, some people love the masks. I don't think anyone actually enjoys the anti-human discomfort of wearing a mask themselves. There's a reason why no one wore them until two years ago. It's nuts. It's uncomfortable. It, it doesn't work. It gets in the way of social interactions. You only did it if you were you know, doing drywall or painting. But people love a new rule, a rule they can follow themselves for some sort of social clout and a rule they can enforce against others as some sort of social cloud. It became a symbol, us versus them, our team versus their team, and the teams were pretty political. Good people wore masks, so wearing a mask proved you were good. This is a classic tweet from a liberal activist. This is from last year. How can I ensure people don't think I'm a Republican? She wanted to take her mask off, but kept it on because she wanted people to know she was a Democrat. Now, she didn't say, how can I ensure I won't get sick or make others sick? No one believed the mask would stop that. All the mask scolds who approached you to hector you, you don't approach someone you're medically afraid of. You wouldn't go and talk to someone with Ebola, would you? You run from them. But the mask was a team symbol, a belief symbol, a signal to others. 
I want to remind you how the mask changed us, pitted us against each other, not the mask itself. No one cares if you wear a mask. The mask mandate, the mask rules, the forced masking. That's what changed us. So many people embraced the force part of it. Look at this creep. Get away Put from your me. fucking mask on. I'm sorry. You can walk away from me right now, sir. Put your mask on. Get away from Put me. Put it please. on. Does it bother anybody else that she doesn't have to wear a mask that we all do? Just go away. Stay six feet away from me then. No. Get away from me. No. Yeah. Get please get away from me right now. No. You don't need to come near me. She has it on her damn hand. Get away from me. That's from 2020. Here's what I wrote about that at the time. This guy is a creepy, snitchy stalker. The mask gives him the anonymity to behave in a way he normally wouldn't. He isn't truly worried. He walks to her, not away. But there is another undercurrent. He hates that he is submissive and she is not. Of course, he's not wearing the mask over his nose. It's uncomfortable. And he obviously doesn't think it's necessary to stay safe. He just like the power of it. Here's some transit bureaucrat in Philadelphia, no mask, telling other people to put on masks or to walk. Public uh, transportation. If you do not have a mask, you cannot ride public transportation, sir. Sir, you have to get off the bus, you have to get off the bus. Sir. Sir. At least people were in that video resistant at first for a bit. That was very early. That was April 2020, but now total compliance. And the thing is, a mask scold in a store really had no power other than his sense of righteousness. And having a train conductor or a bus conductor become a health inspector, it's quite something, but by far. And to their eternal discredit, police forces around the country and around the world turn wearing a rag on your face as a test of whether or not you were to be treated like a violent criminal. Here's 10 cops on a beach in Australia arresting someone for not wearing a mask on a beach, arresting him, pummeling him. It's a man. It's a man. Fucking have some respect. Please just give that girl my phone. Put it in my bag, please. No social distancing. I haven't done anything. Oh, we believe you. Don't worry. He's a 14-year-old kid who was wearing a mask, not just wearing it right, apparently. He was wearing it, but not not correctly. <laughs> I'm not sure where this was from. Brazil, maybe. Hey. Here's a 69-year-old woman arrested and handcuffed for not wearing a mask in a park. Here's a group of security guards at a Canadian mall just pounding the daylights out of a man who's actually a Canadian Forces vet because he wasn't wearing a mask. Now, he was leaving the mall, walking out with his pregnant wife, but the mall security thought they would teach him a lesson in public health. What 
Here's another one from a Tim Hortons. Pepper stray in a, in a choke hold. Pour un masque, là! Hein? Pour un masque! OK? Pour un masque, là! Réveillez-vous, les gens! Dans où ce qu'on s'en va? Pour un calice de masque! Hein? You want to see something super gross? This is a funeral in the United Kingdom. It's my privilege to have been asked to conduct our service today to celebrate the life of Alan Wright. I therefore offer you all a very warm welcome as we unite in love and friendship to... We did that. We agreed to that. We, we abided that. We accepted that. And some of us were thrilled by that. Some of us got involved with that as volunteer enforcers of that, enablers at the very least. Hmm. You know, I've shown you this photo before. We all say we would have been different in the 1930s. We'd have been the guy with the circle around him here, August Landmaster, the one guy not saluting Hitler and a mob of Nazis. Yeah, no, you wouldn't have, at least not 99% of you. So I'm pretty thrilled that the masks on the planes are gone, in America at least, and I'm thrilled to see the true joy from passengers and flight attendants and pilots alike. In a small way, they were liberated, a bit like the day the Berlin Wall came down, except the Soviet bloc never had the audacity to monitor and regulate even what you wore on your face or how you sat at a funeral or who you had at your house. Even the cruel Soviets did not ban children from playing outside. They're putting up the tape. Yeah, no outdoors playing, no sports, no exercise. Stay at home and subscribe to Netflix and Disney Plus and order in fast food. That's the public health message. Two years of obedience to that. So, yeah, glad to see the cheers, including from the flight attendant enforcers who, until one minute prior, would have threatened to kick you off the plane for not wearing a mask. Hey, what's that line? Oh, yeah, right. We were just following orders. Well, within hours of that ruling, the court... Judgment ricocheted across America. Uber lifts its mask mandate requirement, telling customers, if you ever feel uncomfortable, you can always cancel the trip. <laughs> yeah, look, no one's going to cancel their trip. They're just going to complain about it, tweet about it, humiliate the working class drivers about it if they're not masking up. Here's the White House, Jen Psaki, a spokesman for Biden, but really, I think she's more accurately called a shadow president or even the real vice president. Listen to her. Uh, first, a federal judge in Florida says the CDC exceeded its authority with the mask mandate in airports. That's the White House position. The CDC recommended continuing the order for additional time, two weeks, uh, to be able to assess the latest science in keeping with its responsibility to protect the American people. So this is obviously a disappointing decision. 
The CDC continues recommending wearing a mask in public transit. Uh, as you know, this just came out this afternoon. So right now, the Department of Homeland Security, uh, who would be implementing, and the CDC are reviewing the decision. And of course, the Department of Justice uh, would make any determinations about litigation. That's an interesting answer. The CDC said only wanted the mask mandate for two more weeks now. That's a laugh. This whole lockdown was supposed to only last two weeks. So the word means nothing. But this court ruling literally came in at the last moment. 99% done. Saki said they're considering litigation, by which he means considering trying to appeal the decision. I'm pretty sure she won't because although she truly does love masks and lockdowns, for the little people, of course, not for herself, people hate it. And they hate lockdowns. And for Biden to go to court to fight to bring back forced masks now would be a disaster in the fall elections uh, just half a year away. By the way, the judge did not say that mask laws are illegal. She just said that the CDC, which stands for the Centers for Disease Control, is basically a group of health bureaucrats. The judge just said they don't have the power to write laws like that. So the Democrats, who control both the Houses of Congress and the White House, they could pass a law properly. Of course, I don't think they will. This judge did them a huge favor, actually, removed a deeply unpopular policy for them, helps help them save face on the whole thing. Here's an angry journalist, though. Upset that the federal mask mandate for transit and planes has been struck down? Blame federal judge Catherine Kimball Mazel, the 35-year-old Trump appointee who made the ruling. She was rated not qualified by the American Bar Association. Of course, because the American Bar Association is a, it's a left-wing lawyers union, just like the Canadian Bar Association is. It's just Democrats. She seems pretty qualified to me, but it's true she is young. The Democrats normally don't mind young people in politics. They want 16-year-olds to vote. They're awfully dedicated to teaching radical gender theory to children in kindergarten or grade school. What they hate about Judge Mazzell is not that she's young or even a woman. They hate that she's a conservative who upholds the Constitution. That's what they really hate about her. I love this picture here. I don't know if you've seen it. Here she is with Justice Clarence Thomas. She clerked for him. He's the most conservative judge on the Supreme Court. They hate him, too, because he's conservative, not because he's black. That's why they hate her. It's a 59-page ruling. But let me read just two sentences from it uh, right at the end. She says, it is indisputable that the public has a strong interest in combating the spread of COVID-19. In the pursuit of that end, the CDC issued the mask mandate. But the mandate exceeded the CDC's statutory authority, improperly invoked the good cause exception to notice and comment rulemaking, and failed to adequately explain its decisions. Because our system does not permit agencies to act unlawfully, even in pursuit of desirable ends, the court declares unlawful and vacates the mask mandate. So that's some legal jargon there, but in case you're unaware, new regulations in America have to be open to public scrutiny, public comment. People who are effective have the right to raise issues, ask questions, challenge the regulations. But this was done without any of that. It was just King Anthony Fauci just issuing decrees. That's why it was struck down. Same thing happened up here in Canada, of course, but we don't have as strong a democracy as Americans do. We don't have the same checks and balances on regulations and bureaucrats. We don't have courts that uphold the laws, even against do-gooders like the CDC, don't ever say that our Canadian legal system is better than America's. For all the talk about the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, how much it is at our core as Canadians, yeah, well, that's what I've heard my whole life and certainly when I was at law school, but the Charter of Rights has not stopped a single out-of-control bureaucrat or politician in this country during the pandemic. Don't be proud of our courts. What a laugh they are. They hate this judge because she's a young, strong, smart woman. If she had ruled the other way and was a Democrat, they would already be talking about putting her on the Supreme Court. But she was appointed by Donald Trump, which is important. You know, Trump had some great successes as president and some real failures. I think his most lasting legacy may be the Abraham Accords, the peace deal he brokered between Israel and half a dozen Arab and Muslim countries. We'll see. But other than that, I think the most enduring legacy of Trump will be his judges. On the Supreme Court and in lower courts like this, he delegated judge picking to the conservative-leaning Federalist Society, and they gave him great lists of great names. It's fair to say this mask mandate strike down is a Trump victory. 
which is just an extra reason that the left is enraged by him. And I think it's a reason why Canada is still clinging on to masks here too. Justin Trudeau considers himself the anti-Trump. So he's going to hold on longer than any other country except for maybe China itself. I, I saw this. Uh, here's a compendium of seven countries either relaxing or about to relax or abandon their restrictions on travel. New Zealand, Austria, Scotland, Cyprus, Australia, South Korea, New Zealand. New Zealand, they used to be the craziest. Zero COVID, Jacinda Ardern, but look at them now. Towards a sense of normality, Air New Zealand drops proof of vaccination, negative test requirements to fly. Here in Canada, you can't even get on a plane if you're not jabbed. And they're just mass crazy. Let me leave you with a practical joke. I showed you tweets of people on airplanes celebrating. Let me show you this from a concerned citizen named Jared Rabel. He says, I boarded a plane today with my son. And mid-flight, the pilot announces that the mask mandate is over. Flight attendants pulled off their masks and sneezed directly into their hands while screaming, This is MAGA airspace! My son turned to me in tears. I don't know what to do. Now, you're smart, or at least of average intelligence, and even if you're a bit slow, you can tell, right? You can, you can tell this is obviously a joke, right? It's absurd. It's just this guy having fun, right? I mean, do you really think that happened? <laughs> the flight attendant screamed, this is MAGA airspace, make America great again. That's the Trump slogan while sneezing into their hands. You know that's a joke, right? Because you're smart enough to know that's a joke. It's not a very funny joke, but it's a joke. Well, you may be too smart to work for the New York Times because look at this, I swear this is real. Just got messaged by a New York Times journalist about my previous tweet. This is what happened. Someone named Victoria Kim, who really is a New York Times journalist. Hi, Jared, I'm a New York Times journalist. I'd love to speak to you over the phone about what happened on your flight this evening. Can you please give me a call at phone number or let me know how I can reach you? Hope this isn't coming too late in your day. Thank you. Look forward to hearing from you. And he answers straight. He, he doesn't play along for laughs, which I regret. He could have stretched it on a bit. You can see he says, hello, Victoria. I would love to discuss the incident at your earliest convenience. I was pretty upset about the whole thing. Unfortunately, it's satire that only someone in the New York Times would believe. Oh, he should have kept up the ruse. So where are we? Well, America is freer than us here in Canada, again, because their system works better than ours. Their judges care more about freedom than ours do. And other countries are slouching back from the more insane restrictions, but not us here in Canada. And just a prediction. Don't expect to see our country's journalists, politicians, judges, airline executives. Don't expect to see any of them raise the issue. Stay with us for more. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I really think that the end of the mask mandate in the United States is an important milestone, the return to normalcy. And it's like everyone shaking themselves out of a trance they were in and saying, what were we doing? I want to read to you a rather touching and, and even personal tweet made by a lawyer who has been battling this in the courts in the United States. We've talked to her a number of times, battling in the courts, but I follow her Twitter account because she also gives slice-of-life reflections on what it's like to live in blue cities like New York and Washington. Our friend Janine Eunice last night said, I am not a religious person, but tonight I will be saying a prayer of gratitude to Judge Catherine Mizell. As a frequent traveler via plane and public transit, she just made my life a whole lot better. Joining us now is Janine Eunice, lawyer for the new Civil Liberties Alliance. Great to see you, Janine. It really felt like an emotional moment, a liberation, a sort of let my people go. That's how it felt to me. Yeah, it felt like that to me, too. And it's certainly all over the Twitter sphere. I think that was the spirit. <laughs> you know, I love those uh, videos that people were taking when they were literally on an airplane at the moment those uh, aircraft received the word. Uh, I, however, their communications worked and, and whether it was a flight attendant or a pilot breaking the news to the to the uh, passengers cheering, singing, in some cases, dancing, laughter, people ripping the masks off their faces. Um, 
It really was. I, I mean, I use that phrase, let my people go, which is a, a you know, a phrase from the exodus uh, of from slavery to freedom, people whipping their masks off. It, it is a form of liberation. It is an exodus towards freedom a little bit. The, the crazy thing is that America and Canada were not enslaved by an alien power, but by our own governments. That's what's so infuriating about it, is that Americans were subjugated by Americans. It wasn't some foreign invader. Canadians were subjugated by Canadians. It wasn't some foreign invader. That's what makes it so tough to swallow. Yeah, I think that's right. And another thing that makes it so tough to swallow is that, you know, the subjugation was sort of based on what is clearly a manipulation of science. The CDC, you know, has been twisting studies right and left for the past couple of years in order to justify its mask requirements. Um, it couldn't admit, you know, it needed something. It needed something to say we can control this virus. It came up with masks. And then even though the evidence has shown time and again that they're not really doing anything at all, um, they've been unable to admit that. And so it's it's infuriating to people like me who have been looking carefully at the studies and see, you know, they, that they just look, they pick certain time frames, they stop looking at the jurisdiction once the cases start to go up, <laughs> um, you know, stuff like that. You know what? I, there there was no scientific basis for mass mask use. Um, there just There just wasn't, just like there was no scientific basis for lockdowns. These were tools of control and persuasion. I think masks in particular, it was very early, uh, it, I, I felt like it was a flag. Are you submissive or not? It's like, you know, people wear lapel pins. They, they have the yellow ribbons for 9-11. They have the red AIDS ribbon. It's a it's what team you're on. It's your affiliation. And the, and the mask was a massive flag to show whose side you were on. And I, I, I earlier mentioned Jessica Valenti, a, a, a liberal activist, who said, well, I don't want to take my mask off because I don't want people to think I'm a Republican. So it, it, it had no utility for health. It was all about a symbol of the new movement. And, and that's why they didn't, they, they needed it to keep you afraid, to make yes. the, because the, if you didn't know that there was a pandemic, and if you weren't dealing with people in their 70s and 80s, and if if you weren't on social media, if you were a normal human, you wouldn't have been panicky throughout this pandemic. People weren't dying in the streets like the Black Death, like plagues of the past. They needed a visual symbol that the pandemic was ubiquitous, dangerous, or else people would just not care anymore. That's my theory. I think that's right. I think that's a lot of it. So I think there are a number of factors. And another thing, you know, which I touched on just now, is that I think it, the government wanted something that was sort of easy and relatively costless, not like lockdowns, to make it look as though they could do something to control the virus. Look at us, you know, the great government, we can <laughs> control this virus. Um, and then they just couldn't admit error. Yeah. You know, I, I, I remember in the very early months seeing news that uh, the Chinese dictatorship basically called to its expats around the world to hoover up all the PPE, the, the masks and the gloves and, and the goggles that they could. And so in January, February, March, when the West wasn't really paying close attention, millions of dollars worth of, of personal protection equipment was hoovered up in the UK, United States, Canada, Australia, and sent to China. This is not a, a rumor or a theory. It, it's They just bought them up. And and so part of me thought, well, it must be valuable if China's hoovering them up. But I think, no, I think you're right. It's just someone thought, well, we got to do something. And this is a something. And I thought, well, if China is doing that something, maybe it's strategically important. Uh, the, there was no science underneath any of this. And I think that was one of the points of the judge is, that, is you got to answer questions. You got to be transparent. You have to be open to comment. You can't just issue a regulation that destroys lives and, and industries and be immune from scrutiny. I think that's why this judge ruled the way she did. Absolutely. Um, the judge's decision, and I'll, I'll say with a caveat, it's very long. I haven't had a chance to uh, fully read the whole thing. I've skimmed it a couple of times, but um, haven't done as careful of a reading as I'd like to. But I think it's very well thought out. And one of the interesting things about this is the judge happens to be, uh, she's a Trump appointee. She's 35, which is, of course, very young for a federal judge. Um, and most of the comments I'm, I've seen on social media 
um, criticizing her are limited to her age, gender, it seems, you know, she's a 35-year-old female judge, uh, Trump appointee. None of them have actually taken issue with her legal reasoning, which is quite sound. Um, she's basically said that the CDC does not have the authority. It's it's similar to the vaccine, some of the, the federal vaccine mandate cases, and it's also similar to the CDC eviction moratorium cases. In fact, this was the same statute that the CDC used to say that it had the authority to halt evictions nationwide in the U.S. and that the Supreme Court struck down um, that action. So uh, it was very similar reasoning, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I skimmed it and I, uh, you know, I, I think she sums it up really at the end where she says, sorry, you can't just, this is not how you make laws in America. Yeah. Um, you can't just short circuit the, the, the public comment and you, you just, you, you're not a legislature. Uh, you're yeah. an agency. You can't just issue edicts from the high on Mount Olympus. And, and I think it's obvious that Congress, I mean, you've got the, the House of Representatives, the Senate, the presidency, they're all in the hands of the Democrats. If they really believed in this, they could enact a law through the legislature. Um, I guess they could appeal it to a higher court. I think that this judge, in a way, has done Joe Biden a huge favor by removing this irritant on the population that the Democrats had been so politically invested in that they were sort yeah. of backed into a corner. They couldn't lose face. And, and it, uh, now they can say, well, a judge threw it out so they can keep the win. Oh, we care more than you guys. It was a Trump judge. But yeah. but the actual pain is being relieved in America seven months before their midterm elections. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly the correct interpretation. Now, there have been a couple of it's unclear whether they'll appeal or not. I heard this morning that they weren't going to. And then I heard that they were going to. <laughs> um, so if they don't appeal, that would be interesting. It would either it would sort of be a concession that uh, either they were afraid they'd lose in the circuit court and create bad law or that they really didn't want to push this mandate, but for some reason felt they had to. And they're kind of relieved that it's out of their hands, as you say. Now they can just blame it on the Trump judge. Yeah. You know, it's April 2022. Mask mandates have been in, in effect for a long time. Uh, it feels like ages that it took ages for this to get to this court. Um you know, the CDC says it would have removed the mandate in a couple of weeks, but we've heard that two-week uh, promise yeah. before. But I have to note that here in Canada, I think I've told you this before, our Supreme Court has yet to weigh in on any lockdown issue. Just they haven't. Wow. And our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which was once considered a defining Canadian document, has not in any case successfully struck down an infringement. And we got wow. some crazy stuff going on up here. Like we had a full-blown... 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. curfew in the large province of Quebec. So I'm starting to think, what is the use of our whole vaunted check and balance legal system if it can't, if it can't stop the biggest civil liberties inferno in world history, perhaps, since, since slavery, I guess? Uh, what, what use is it? I mean, here we are, and, and a judge finally strikes it down in America. And, of course, she's, as you point out, she's attacked for being a young woman, Trump appointee, but at least you had something. In Canada, I want to let you know, Janine, that you cannot get on an airplane, even domestically, if you're unvaxxed. You just yeah. cannot fly or take the train in the second largest country in the world. You just can't. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. So I, there are plenty of people here who want that. And in fact, I believe it's uh, one of uh, the guy that Biden appointed to be as COVID SAR, whatever that means, was saying that we should be looking at um, vaccination requirements for domestic air travel. So uh, you, what you have in America is sort of an interesting just divide between the Republican and Democratic strongholds. And frankly, in the Democratic strongholds, I mean, it's not really any better than what you're talking about. Uh, in New York, they just start, they're continuing the toddler mask mandate. It's two to four-year-olds are the only population required to be masked. Um, a judge struck it down, actually, and then the city immediately appealed for a stay. That's sort of called a, like an immediate um, to immediately halt the effect of the lower court's order. Uh, and so that later that day, um, the toddler man mask mandate was kept in effect. So you know the the good things are coming out of these um, Republican strongholds. Um, and we would be in the same situation, I think, if we were in Democratic majority or in Democratic majority jurisdictions. And the lesson really is that it's the populace. It's the populace that drives the politicians and it's the populace that drives the judges um, in the end. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, and I don't know if it's a coincidence that this judge, I think, was in Florida, which has become the free state, the freest uh, place in America. Again, you've got 50 states each with a slightly different approach. I mean, of course, you do have the federal 
issue, which is what yeah. was at stake here. But you really do have 50 competing laboratories for how to do it. In Canada, you do have 30, sorry, 10 provinces and three territories, but they were, they were so similar. They were, they were yeah. so similar. It, it's, it's quite depressing for me as a Canadian to say this, but here's one thing I want to ask you about. It's not a legal thing. It's a psychological thing. It's a madness of crowds thing. It's a conformity thing. I, I showed earlier a videotape of a flight attendant going down uh, the aisle singing a song about throw out your masks with a jubilation. It, it, felt like a, it felt like a liberation song. She was just making up a song about throw out your masks. And, and everyone was, it, like, it was this cheering moment, like they had just won the Super Bowl or something. But I can't help but think, Janine, that 10 minutes earlier, had someone not been wearing their mask or not been wearing it between sips of water or, or peanuts or whatever they serve on a plane, that that same flight attendant would have most likely been a, been a scold and even threatened and um, so, yes, that flight attendant was celebrating, and all these pilots are celebrating. And, but minutes earlier, they were the enforcers of it. I'm not sure if they get to do the jubilation victory lap when they were uh, complicit. Now, now, maybe it was complicit or lose your job or complicit or get. Yeah, I, but it's a little hard for me to swallow someone who five minutes earlier was an enforcer now leading a, a song of liberation. I just find that hard. So I think my opinion on this is, and I've documented it well on Twitter, I don't blame people for um, employees when they're really, you know, sort of afraid to lose their job and they're not very zealously enforcing it. So, you know, I, I actually differentiate, you know, I've had like Amtrak conductors or, or sorry, train people um, or flight attendants say like, oh, can you put your mask on? You know, and you can say they don't really want to ask, but they feel like they have to. Um, that I can, and they just ask, and if you don't do it, they don't follow up, right. which I'm okay with because I understand the position they're in. I differentiate them from the ones who are clearly on a power trip, who clearly insist on it. You know, I had one guy on the Amtrak tell me I was drinking wine, and he said, uh, "You have to put your mask on." And I said, "I'm drinking wine," and he was like, "Well, you have to put it on your chin so that you can pull it up between sips." And it's just, you know, these are clearly people who enjoy controlling and micromanaging people. Yeah. Uh, so I and do think they're it all up. There's no rule. That doesn't even make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. Of course, it makes no sense. And it doesn't make sense to have a mask on when you're eating, by the way, just from a health or hygiene point of view. You're right. I, I, I take your point. You know, I never understood Solzhenitsyn's uh, instruction, which was just don't participate in the line. You don't have yeah. to fight against it. You don't have to speak out against it. Not everyone can do that. Most people can't do it. Just don't perpetrate it. Just don't yeah. be... Uh, a collaborator. Just don't do that. That was his one admonition. Just don't be a collaborator. And yeah. um, you know what? And I, I'm using all these analogies of the darkest fascist time in, in recent history. After France was liberated, everyone was, a, everyone was with the French resistance. No, you weren't. Yeah. No, you weren't. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you want that now. And I see that with some pundits and some politicians who want to rebrand themselves as heroes of civil liberties. No, they weren't. And, yeah. I, and I'm not, this is not about me saying, well, I was earlier. It's about understanding how quickly the world can go mad and then flip back and, and not even know that they were mad. There was no reckoning. We need a truth and reconciliation commission. What exactly happened? What, what happened in the police departments? What happened in the colleges of physicians and surgeons that caused them to crack down on people issuing exemption letters? What, what happened? We still don't know what happened. I don't know if we ever will. I'm, I'm depressed uh, that there's no recognition of how dark it was. I agree with that. And I think that without any accountability, it's just going to happen again. Um, there really needs to be, I mean, I don't know if we're talking about criminal trials, although I think that some people, the criminal penalties could possibly be appropriate. Um, but certainly some sort of, you know, commission to figure out what went wrong. And as, you know, the CDC, uh, as I've discussed, has continually um, exceeded its authority and abused its power to implement these mandates. And they know that it's going to take some time to challenge them in court. Um, the Biden administration even, even acknowledged that the CDC eviction moratorium was unlawful, but said that they knew, well, it was going to take a little while to get challenged. If people aren't, you know, th there's no... Um, 
personal accountability. So, so the government is found to have exceeded its power, but that doesn't mean that any person loses their job or is penalized. As long as that goes on, this will go on. You know, I, I don't mean to use so many Nazi analogies, and there are obviously differences, but that was a great moment of mass formation psychosis. That was a, a time, I mean, Germany was the most educated, most cultured country in Europe. It was not an illiterate, uh, superstitious backwater. It was modern, secular, artistic, scientific. I mean, uh, it, it, and it was very Jewish, by the way. And um, they went mad. And, and by the way, it was the doctors yeah. who led it. And that's where we got the, the doctor's trials and the, and, and the Nuremberg Code of, of Medicine emerged from the atrocities there. I'm not, I'm not comparing the worst parts of Nazism. I, I've obviously not. But there, there's similar psychological strains, and I want to, and I say that because I'm not, I'm not over comparing, but there is a comparison to be made to a certain point. And Ron Rosenbaum, who's gone Trump derangement, he's gone mad, he's mad about COVID. But before 2016, he was actually a, an incredibly thoughtful scholar, historian, researcher, writer, provocative thinker. And he wrote a book called Explaining Hitler, which I think was uh, amazing. And he said something... Uh, he said, and again, forgive me for being so dramatic, I'm not calling what happened a Holocaust. But he said, a second Holocaust is more likely than the first one, because the first one was unthinkable. But the second one, now that it's happened, okay, you know it can happen. You no longer have the psychological, social, cultural, historical, uh, I, I, it's not an unthinkable idea. It happened, so it could happen again. And now the systems are there, the technology is there. So his theory is that like a black swan, the first time it happens, it's on, you, you, you couldn't have imagined it. And I, that, my comparison here is we couldn't have imagined that they would tell us not to gather in our homes. We couldn't have imagined that they would have said you could only have five people at a funeral. We couldn't have imagined demonizing people by the million who wouldn't get an injection of what is, is not a fully tested drug. We couldn't imagine every institution at once being being undermined. We couldn't, I couldn't imagine it. No, and, I couldn't and, either. And it didn't happen all at once, but it happened bloody quickly. And as to Ron Rosenbaum's point, if it happened once, which is unthinkable, why wouldn't it happen again a second time more thinkably? Because we could think it now. And it happened now. And the people who did it, if there's no Nuremberg trials, so to speak, well, why wouldn't they do it again? Yeah, I mean, so I've I've sort of uh, broached the comparison myself, and I think this is how I look at it. Um, it's I'm not saying that the events of the COVID hysteria, as I like to call it, are the same, but the mindset one sort of can see how this mindset came to be. Well, Janine, let me ask you this: uh, in in the last not even 24 hours, we've seen the domino effect. The airlines have, all the big airlines have said they're ending this. I see Uber and Lyft, at least in the United States, are ending this. I'm not sure about Canada yet. Amtrak, like it, it just really is sweeping it out. You mentioned exceptions like the toddler mask in New York City. Are there, are there large lockdownist laws still in place in America? Because in Canada there sure are, but are there in America, or or is it just in odd spots like New York? Um. Pretty much there, I guess I would say they're gone. So there are still vaccine mandates are still around. Um, that's sort of the big lingering effect, I would say. Uh, the mask mandates seem to be mostly gone. Um, there really aren't any lockdown policies that I'm aware of. Let's keep in touch on this. You guys at the NCLA, National New Civil Liberties Alliance, are doing great work on this. Give me 30 seconds on the state of your lawsuits. Are you still pursuing litigation to fight against some of these vaccine mandates or have those um, defendants all settled or, or surrendered? We have a couple of active cases. So the federal employee mandate and the federal contractor mandate we're still fighting. Um, so the federal employee mandate was actually uh, sort of brought back. It had been struck down by, or at least stayed by a judge in uh, Texas, but a higher court reversed that. Um, so now federal employees are subject to the vaccine mandate. So we have those cases. And then I have another case um, that is actually going to a hearing next week on uh, the censorship of Twitter users um, and the government's involvement in that censorship. 
Well, I'm glad you're fighting. And I have to tell you, I would love to see you on the bench one day issuing rulings <laughs> of freedom. And uh, I hope that day isn't uh, long into the future. Janine, it's great to see you again. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And you're a great fighter on this. Thank you so much, Ezra. All right. There you have it. Janine Eunice from the new Civil Liberties Alliance. Stay with us more ahead. I think it was a momentous day. I, I think the mask mandate in the United States ended more with a whimper than a bang. Um, it's outrageous that it took so long. It's shocking how... You know, the dam broke and suddenly everybody was fine with normal again, including people who were enforcers of the mask mandate. I said to Janine that just like Ron Rosenbaum said, a second Holocaust is more likely than the first because the first was unthinkable. A second lockdown pandemic madness is more likely than a first because they've, they've shown they can do it. They made tens of billions of dollars off it. I'm just talking about Pfizer and Moderna alone. Um, trillions of dollars was at stake. Power grabs, mass surveillance. Why wouldn't they do it again? No one who was in on it has suffered. No one was fired. No one was prosecuted. China loved it. The public health deep state loved it. It'll happen a second time. At least if we don't learn the proper lessons from it. Let me, lens, let me end today's show with a video of the day from Sid Fizard of Calgary who has a question, the CB radio, could it play a role in preserving free speech? That's an interesting question. I'll leave you with that video until tomorrow. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, see you at home. Good night. Keep fighting for freedom. Today, we're here to talk about CB radio and its potential key role in the preservation of free speech. As well, we're going to touch base with a trucking company owner based out of Saskatchewan to hear what he has to say about how it's used in the industry on a daily basis. You might not be familiar with citizen band radio, and its usage has died down a fair bit with the introduction of phones and the internet, which provide faster, more broad communication services. But you can think of it as a walkie-talkie system for adults, used in emergencies by authorities as well as hobbyist preppers, and especially considered where you might not often find cell reception. Most notably, truckers use it as a keen source of information and communication while on the road. It's used frequently, however, mostly remains hidden from public view. Even though this old school radio technology doesn't have the wide range of uses or the speed and value of the internet, it does have its place and it provides a certain form of independence which things like the internet can't provide, which may make it a noteworthy tool in the battle against the state with regards to free speech, especially now during an era of government-sponsored media and mass spying of civilians, what we are allowed to know has made each of us a target of the state. Anyone can purchase a CB radio and say whatever they want without the infringement of social media censorship. And unlike the internet, this radio doesn't face the same physical hurdles when it comes to access. It operates outside the functionality of the internet by way of people dialing into certain frequencies or channels. And as mentioned, CB radio is no stranger to the trucker industry, where it does play a significant role in daily operations. Starting our investigation into this hidden means of communication, we're joined by Haru, who owns a trucking company in Saskatchewan, where he details some daily uses of CB radio in the trucker industry. The most basic one is Channel 19 CB radio. It's, it's basically, um, we talk all the time on CB 19 uh, with other truckers. If there's an accident, there's this, this fog or there's a sharp corner and somebody's just pulled over with their flashers on, and just informing road conditions, slippery sections and all that stuff. Um, but there's, there's more that happens on that. Um, people do tend to talk more than just that sometimes. And it's just nothing, nothing special, but yeah, it's a, it's a different world. That's the only way we can kind of communicate with somebody else other than ourselves in the cab. I'm not sure what else happens on there, but we're very strict with what we do with the CB radio. So we use it for what we're supposed to use. They're always on They're in the trucks. Uh, you never shut them off. You hear all a bunch of stuff. The usefulness for truckers is self-explanatory, generally revolving around road safety. But as Haru mentions, there's more than that, which takes place on this quasi-hidden communications platform. This year alone, we saw unprecedented trucker convoys and blockades across the nation in protest of government mandates. 
And given the connection between semi-trucks and CB radio, I can't imagine they went unused. In years past, it's alleged that CB radio had been used by one trucker during the 1973 OPEC oil embargo to start a nationwide protest in the U.S. against high fuel prices, among other things. And as Haru tells us, the convoy was more than likely using CB radio during its journey to Ottawa. Or, or they definitely are. They definitely are. Uh, it's a purpose way of communicating. Everybody is on one channel. All it takes is one push button and you can talk immediately. So it's, it's, it's very quick and, um, and everybody can get to you right away. Like, you know, if there's a stop or fuel and, you know, it's it just, it's, it's, it's a very quick way of method of communicating. Where it's very so like someone just picks up and purchases a radio and that's all that's being aired is other people talking. Yeah, that's it, yes. The convoy drew international attention towards the peaceful fight for civil liberties here in Canada, despite Trudeau's efforts to thwart dissent. This success may partially be thanks to CB radio, both in terms of navigating the convoy as well as the conveyance of messaging without government or big tech consent. Notably, there was an increase in CB radio sales during the pandemic. Meanwhile, the government continues to restrict media on all fronts. But this communications platform provided a separate world for truckers and convoy supporters to communicate with each other without a third-party overlord, as emphasized by the notable entrepreneur Elon Musk when he stated that CB radios are free from government and media control. Well, media control, it kind of goes to, I saw, I, I don't know, I'm not sure if it was global or CPV, uh, they just picked up somebody random. And I advocate civil war. If people don't want to stand up, We've got guns, we'll stand up and we'll bring them out. They like to show the negative side of it. There's always bad apples. It's a wrong message being sent. They, they always focus on the wrong message, is, is what I believe. And um, with CB radios having them, it's them communicating via, you know, it's, it's a real person talking to you. It's not a, it's not a, not a paid off media talking to you, right? So it's, it's, it's different. Haru highlights a vital issue we now face here in Canada. Major media outlets are quick to spew government-positive narratives while ignoring the reality of the world we live in. Although it may have played a unique role in the trucker convoys we've seen so far in 2022, it's not certain to what capacity CB radio affected the protests. Either way, it might be worth having one in the back pocket just in case as we're seeing continued efforts by our government to restrict our free speech on other communications platforms. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. For Rebel News, I'm Sidney Vizard.